so who is this Jesus guy? And what does he have to do with your life and in my life? We've been studying the Gospel of John for, I don't know, six months or so now. And, and you might remember that we pointed out that John sets up his Gospel like it's a trial. Like it's a court case. And Jesus has this claim. And John is bringing evidence to try and say to us, this is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus is about. And this is what Jesus wants to do in your life. And now we're coming to the end of this, this massive section. The first chapter was the, all about uh, John the Baptist. And he's sort of, in his proclamation of who Jesus is, he foretells everything that John the Gospel writes is going to write for the rest of the book. But now we come to this last section as we end chapter 10. This whole thing about signs and controversies, and we've been looking at how all of these things, from the weddings, the temple, being a rabbi, the sacred dwells, the Sabbath, all of these things point to Jesus and our evidence about who Jesus is. And today, we're going to look at this last one, the Feast of Dedication, or the Feast of Hanukkah. Now, as we finish off this book of signs, before we look at this last section, I need to talk to you a little bit about the Seleucid Empire. Now, normally I would be terrified to bring in history and talk about empires and so on, until I saw early in this month that according to TikTok, the average guy thinks about the Roman Empire once a week. Did you see that? They got, you know, women to say, ask your boyfriend, ask your husband, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? And apparently it's like once a week and some guys are like once a day. Now there is a, there is a subset who confused the Roman Empire of history with Nicki Minaj and her alter ego and her song Roman's Revenge. I'm not surprised that those guys don't think about the Roman Empire. <laughs> but we, <laughs> you were just surprised I know that, aren't you? Ah. <laughs> yeah, even ball guys know this stuff sometimes. All right, so here we go. Now, I've got to give you some background and, because it, it's going to spin a bit of a light on this passage that we're looking at and, and help us see Jesus in, in maybe a way that we haven't thought of before, okay? So here we go. Alexander the Great. You know, you know Alexander the Great. Please, please say you know Alexander the Great. Probably, you know, still talked about as one of the greatest generals that ever was. He established an empire that stretched all the way from, like, from Greece and Macedonia all the way across to India. Did it in just a few years. An amazing thing. Died young. And on his deathbed, they said, okay, Alexander, who's going to be your successor? And you know what he said? He said, whoever is the strongest. Now, you want to talk about setting up for civil war. I mean, there's a statement like that. And so sure enough, civil war erupted, various generals and certain of the armies and all these different guys, they're all fighting and battling. And it, when, it all, when the dust settled, his four key generals ended up dividing his empire into four. And one of the, the strongest generals was a general by the name of Seleucus. Okay? And he got the portion of Alexander's empire that included like Syria and Israel and, and that kind of section that we deal with all of the time. Okay, now, skip ahead six generations to about 150, 140 years before Jesus. And the guy that was running that portion of the empire was a guy by the name of Antiochus IV who called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. Now this boy was a piece of work. <laughs> oh man, the arch enemies 
of the Jews. I mean, he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes, like an epiphany, you know, that is like a manifestation. And what Antiochus claimed is that he was a manifestation of the god Zeus, that he was God Zeus come in the flesh. Okay, that was his thing. So he took on this name, Antiochus Epiphanes. I'm the epiphany. I am the manifestation of Zeus. Now, other guys called him different things. There was a contemporary Greek historian by the name of Polybus. He lived at the same time as Antiochus, and he called him, let me get this right here, he called him Antiochus Epimane. In other words, manic. Epimane the maniac, the madman, the mad one. The rabbis, they had another name for him. They called him Antiochus the Wicked and said that he was the fulfillment of the little horn. If you go into Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he's got all these prophecies of these kingdoms, including Alexander, he goes down and, and this Antiochus guy, he said, ah, he's the little horn. He is a bad, bad, bad guy. Now, what he decided to do he was always trying to invade Egypt, and he kept losing, so he'd take it out on the Jews. But what he, what he did, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to unify my kingdom under the same religion and the same culture, which meant he had to suppress the Jews and eradicate Judaism. So while he was running, for example, it was, it was illegal to own the Torah. If you were caught with the Torah, they'd burn the Torah, and you would be... Uh, you'd be killed, you'd be murdered. Josephus tells us that, that all kinds of people under him were, were whipped to the place where their bodies were torn apart. Maybe one of the worst things that would happen is that if, if you circumcise your baby, then what they would do is they would strangle that baby and they'd hang that baby around the mother's neck. And the mother would have to wander around Jerusalem for a couple of days carrying her dead baby until they crucified her or threw her off the walls. You can see that this guy was a, an absolute nut. What really got people upset, though, is that he erected a statue of Zeus in the temple. He took over the temple in Jerusalem, and he slaughtered a pig, the unclean animal, on the altar. And so he desecrated or he, he ruined the temple. And so the Jews, you can see why he's called for the Jews. He passed Antiochus the wicked. Now, Polybius, he had a different reason for hating him and calling him a madman because well, apparently what, what the Antiochus would do is sometimes he'd sneak out of his palace and get along with the general people and go to their parties. And then he got half cut, he'd break out his flute. But he was such a bad musician that the party had ended as soon as he started playing. And so this is the kind of guy he was. This is this kind of this weird thing. He was this horrific person to the Jews. But in, in Greek culture, he's, he's kind of a little bit like a madman, but, you know, not too bad. Now... This desecration of the temple, this turning it to a place where you worship Zeus and slaughtering pigs, these unclean animals, that was more than the Jews could take. And so they needed a rescuer. They needed a deliverer. They needed somebody to rescue them and deliver them from this great oppression. And so a little band of Jews started with about 600 guys, grew to a few thousand by the end of the rebellion, but started really small under Judas Maccabeus. Now, Maccabeus wasn't his real name. The Maccabeus means the hammer. So there's this guy, his dad actually started the rebellion, but he sort of took over, and he raised up this little band of, of, of an army who, through guerrilla warfare, Judas the hammer, that's what Maccabees means, the hammer, given that name. He rose up and he won. 
He beat this incredible empire. He drove them out of Jerusalem and eventually took it back over and set up the Hasmonean Empire. And so, and so what happened is, that was in about 164 BC, he rededicated the temple. This place where the Jews understood that God himself touched earth. And if you look in some of your Bibles, extended ones, first and second Maccabees, it's in between the test, Old and New Testament. It's all about the stuff that he did. Now, Put on your yamaka, here comes Hanukkah. That is what Hanukkah celebrates. It's the celebration of Judas the Maccabean overthrown Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus the Wicked. And it was an annual dedication or celebration of the rededication of the temple. Now, Four things, okay? Four things you get out of this. We've got to keep this in your mind before we read the text, okay? Here's the important things of what Hanukkah is all about. Number one, it celebrated the past delivery of the nation from an oppressive kingdom and looked forward to the time when another would rise up and throw off the kingdom that they were under now, okay? So a celebration of the freedom of the nation in the past and looking forward to the future. Number two, it was a reminder of anyone that commits blasphemy, anyone that says that they're a god, like Antiochus Epiphanes, they're going to lose. God is going to be against them, and they are the enemy of Yahweh, and Yahweh will overthrow them. Okay? Number three, the hammer. They celebrated the hammer. They celebrated that Israel could rise up and throw off an oppressor and destroy a nation that was far stronger than them because Yahweh, God, was on their side. And number four, it's about the consecration or the setting apart or the making holy the temple of God again, the place where God touches earth. Okay, you got those four things? Now... You've got to keep those things in your mind and put them, put them as the lens over your eyes here or the screen through which we're going to read this passage and keep those things in mind of what's going on, okay? All right, here we go. Gospel of John, chapter 10, start with verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication in Jerusalem or then came Hanukkah, okay? Hanukkah is happening. And it was winter, because it happens in, like, December, around our Christmas. And Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, if you are the rescuer, if you are the deliverer, then tell us plainly. And Jesus said, I did tell you, but you don't believe the works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father, and one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, whoa, 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 I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, 
a mere man claimed to be God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are God's? If he called them God's, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father has set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I have said, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days, and there he stayed. And many people came to him, and they said, although John never performed any signs, all that John said about this man, back in chapter 1, was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. All right, you see what's going on here? Feast of dedication, Hanukkah. And they come to him with a question and an, and an accusation. They're not sincere in their question. They come and they say, hey, Jesus, tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you like Judas the hammer? Are you going to rise up a small group of people and, 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 and get us to overthrow this Roman Empire? I mean, that's after all what Hanukkah is about. Are you want us to pick up the swords? You want us to take on? Because after all, uh, that's what the Maccabeans did. That's what the hammer did. Surely you are going to do that. This feast celebrates the past victory and looks ahead to the new one. Are you going to lead this new victory? Are you going to lead this rebellion? In the hope that he'd get in trouble with the Roman soldier standing on the corner of the thing, listening to this, ready to report it to the centurion. And you notice what Jesus does. Jesus gives them an answer. So it's kind of like, like he does all the time, you know, back and forth. But in the part of that answer, he, he mentions, hey, you know what? The, the Father and I are one. God and I are one. And so then they come up with the accusation, oh, you're claiming to be a God. We know somebody else that claimed to be a God. And we know what God did to this one who was the enemy of Yahweh, who is the enemy of all God's people, who is the archetype of the anti-God, and it's even carried into the book of Revelation, into the Antichrist. You are the, that's who you are. You're claiming to be another God. This is blasphemy. We know what happens to people like that. We understand their nature because we've dealt with one of those guys before. A question to get them in trouble politically and an accusation to get him to trouble theologically. And so Jesus brings this answer. He says, listen, my works tell you who I am. Five times in those few verses, Jesus points to his works, these signs. Remember, miracles in John are called signs. These things that Jesus does that only God can do, they're signs. This, this fulfillment of all of these feasts and all of these uh, Jewish culture events, and all, Jesus fulfilled them all as we've been seeing for the last 10 chapters. Jesus said, look, these things tell you who I am. It's just that you won't believe. So let me spill it out for you. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the Deliverer. But I am a shepherd 
not a hammer. I'm one who comes to deliver all people, not just the few. Now, we saw this whole beginning of the teaching of Jesus being the shepherd at the beginning of chapter 10 a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how Jesus is, an, is a, uh, a soul-ruling shepherd, not a consultant. And we sort of left off the, the gentle side of the shepherding image. But let's, in this context, because he's contrasting himself with Judas the hammer, think on what that means. The whole idea is that what Jesus is saying is, listen, I, I want to give you the sense that, of intimacy. I'm a shepherd. I, I'm interested in and I'm providing an intimate relationship with you. I'm one to whom you can, you can hear my voice. If you're my sheep, if you're my follower, I will guide you through life. I will give you advice to follow through and not only that, but if you follow it because I am this one who is the ruler, then you will in fact have life itself. And I'm a shepherd. And no matter how far you ever think that you are away from me, I know your name. I know your name. And I know your circumstances, be they difficult or be they easy. I, the living God, am your shepherd and I know you. I know your name. I know what you're made of. I know your meaning. I know your purpose. I know your struggles and I know your joys. And if you will just follow me, if you will just allow me to be your shepherd, if you will follow my voice because I know you intimately, I know how I can lead you into life. Because you see, I am the giver of life. And when we think about that, of course, we didn't look at it last time, but we can't help it. We can't help but think of Psalm 23, can we? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My shepherd is one who's going to care for my needs. He makes me lay, lay down in green pastures, these green pastures with the luscious, abundant provision of the things that we need for life and to process and to keep going forward. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He gives me rest when life is exhausting me. And I can close my eyes and take a deep breath and hear the whisperings of Jesus that he is here and he is for me and not against me. And though the enemy presses the darkness in, he has me in his hand and he restores my soul. Whatever it is that wears me out, that grinds me down, he can lift me up and give me strength again. Because Jesus, the shepherd, gives that kind of life. And it's life eternal. Jesus said, oh, we've got Hanukkah and you're looking for a deliverer. You're looking for somebody to deliver you from this empire of darkness. Well, let me tell you, I'm going to deliver you from the ultimate empire. I'm going to deliver you from the ultimate darkness. I'm going to deliver you from death itself and give you life eternal. Because it's Hanukkah. And I am the deliverer. And I will overthrow the enemy 
one who tries to take the place of God called Satan. And not only will I deliver you, but because I'm the good shepherd, I'm also the protector of the weak. I'm the one that holds on to you when darkness wants to hold on to you. I'm the one that will shield you from the attack of the enemy. Nobody and nothing can snatch you out of my hand because you, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. You. Jesus considers you a gift from the creator of all of the universe. You, as you follow Jesus, are a gift of God to God the Son. And we know that we protect our gifts. And the Father protects us as his children. Those of us who've been blessed to have some children, you know that when the danger rises, we cling to our children and hold on to them for dear life and would pay any price, even our death, to deliver them from whatever darkness may attack them. And then Jesus says, this father who gives the son you as his gift, the father and the son are one. Because you see, I am a shepherd who is actually God. I'm the shepherd who knows you and leads you. I'm the shepherd that gives you life, and not only abundant life now, but eternally. I'm the shepherd who's hold on to you so that nothing snatches you away. And I am the ultimate shepherd, the true shepherd, as we saw out of Ezekiel, that will never abandon his people because I am God. You know, I learned a lot when I studied this passage this week. I don't know why I missed some of these things before, but one of the things that I, that I certainly missed was this in, this in this word that Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And what Jesus is referring to in this thing, which the, the crowd got, but I missed, I don't know how I missed it, but I missed so much, is what Jesus is doing is that he is making reference to the Shema. Have you heard about the Shema? Do you know what the Shema is? Shema is the sort of the, the central Corner piece of the Jewish expression of their faith. It's a prayer which they say in the morning and in the evening. They begin their day with it and they end their day with it. And it comes from Deuteronomy. And it's all about how God is singular. How there is only one God and God is that God. And this is what it says. And they pray it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. That is the Shema. And when Jesus says, because the Father and I are one, what he's saying is, I am the one. When you pray the Shema, I'm the one that you're talking about. I am one with the Father. I am, in fact, God. And the crowd understands that Jesus is making this reference. And so they pick up stones and they yell out, blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be like God. You are just like Antiochus. You are just like this madman who pretended to be God and set himself up as an alternate God. And so we will destroy you as we destroyed, as Yahweh destroyed him. We will stone you to death because there is no other than Yahweh as God. And that leads into this accusation that Jesus now defends the second part. And he's pointing out, he said, don't, don't you realize these signs, again, it's these signs that I've done, these signs I've been doing, when I've been doing these things that only God can do, can you not understand that they are pointing out that, yes, I am God in the flesh. I am God. 
but I am not another God. Now, oh, right. His argument gets really, really confusing and complicated. And I'd skip it over, but it says the scriptures cannot be set aside, so we've got to look at it at least a little bit. What he does is he quotes a psalm. He quotes a portion of Psalm 82, 6, which is this whole little bit that he says, uh, are you not called gods? And it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, well, actually, I'm not God, doesn't it? I mean, when you, if you read that flow, did you catch that? Uh, look at it again in your text or in your device or whatever. Hey, you're going to be like, God, what, what are you talking about? Uh, isn't it say, even your own law, doesn't it say that ye are gods? And it sounds like you say, well, no, you know, I'm not really God. But, but that's not what he's saying at all. So let me just, <laughs> it's, so, it's so complicated. Partially because even in the psalm, the scholars argue about who he's talking about. Is he talking about kings and judges? Is he talking about Israel? Or is he talking about the divine council? What, what in the world is he talking about? And then it just multiplies the complication when he gets to this. But here's what's going on. As near as I can tell, and I might be wrong. Probably not but I might be. It's like, so it's really hot and it's really tense and Jesus standing here and it's like, you guys are all picking up rocks to stone me, okay? And I got to put the brakes on this situation because things are really getting out of hand. Mob mentality is taking over. So I got to say something that's going to stop you in your tracks. That's going to say, whoa, just hang on a minute. And that's what Jesus does. He says, listen, if I can say a scripture because you know that the scripture is true, you can't set the scripture aside no matter what you think, no matter what society tells you, no matter what you can't set aside the Bible because the Bible is true so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this scripture up and you're going to have to stop and think for a minute you see what's going on that's what he's saying so they're all about to rush him and throw rocks at him kill him and he says hang on a minute what about that scripture which calls some people maybe even all of Israel gods it's not automatic that somebody who's attributed the title God is blasphemy. And they have to stop and think for a minute. I had to stop and think for like 20 hours trying to figure this out. So they stop for a minute. And he's saying that it's not necessary. You better hold on. What he's going to do, the scholars tell us, it's been quite a few years since I explained it. One of the Jewish ways of argument is called from lesser to greater. Do you, do you remember that at all? Well, one of the things that they would prove, if they could prove a lesser point, then they would say, well, it's true that much more for a bigger person. And it's, Jesus kind of using this argument to say, well, you know, if it's true that, that kings and judges and maybe even Israel who received the word, if they could be called gods, how much more true is it that I, who have been sent from the Father, can be called God? That's, that's kind of the argument that he's doing. It kind of makes sense, but I'll tell you, I was really helped by, by New Testament scholar D.A. Carson. And this is kind of what he says. He says, he puts the brakes on, uses the scripture, and this is what he's saying. Hopefully we've got the things. He says, look, first of all, yeah, you the mob, you're partially right. I am making myself equal with God. You're right. That's what I'm saying. You wanted a plain answer, I'm giving you a plain answer. All of these miracles, all of these signs, all of these teaching, all of these feasts, all of these festivals, all of this pointing to me, you're right, I'm God. But you're also partially wrong. I am not a competing God. Like Antiochus tried to be a Zeus. 
I am the one God. God the Father and I are one in essence and in work and in will. It's this mystery of the Trinity where Jesus dwells in the Father and the Father dwells in the Son and the Spirit dwells in the two of them and the two of them persons dwell into the one Spirit. And so the third thing he says, okay, so you're right, but you're partially wrong, but you are very profoundly mistaken because you haven't grasped the, grisp, the, grasped the drift of all of your scriptures because all of your scriptures and all of these things that we've been talking about and all of these things point to me. And you need to understand that I have fulfilled all of these things. You have missed the works that point to who I am. I am God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. We are one. I am not like Antiochus. I am not a competing God. I am God himself. And then he sneaks something else in, which is easy to overlook, because I certainly did. He sneaks in this other little thing where he said, how much more is it true that the one that the Father sets aside, or the one that the Father consecrates, or the one that the Father dedicates? And you remember what Hanukkah was about. Hanukkah was about the rededication of the temple, the place where the Jews understood that God comes and touches earth. And what Jesus is saying is he's taking this, this central act of Hanukkah, this rededication of the temple, and he's saying, do you not understand that I am the temple rededicated? That I am the one that not just people, some Maccabean rededicated. I am the one that has been set aside and consecrated by God the Father himself. I am the place, the person, where God touches earth. I am the dedicated temple of Yahweh, where God is worshipped. Do you want a straight answer for who I am? I am the fulfillment of everything that Hanukkah celebrates. Just as I am the fulfillment of every other feast from Sabbath to Passover. I am the fulfillment of Hanukkah. And it's kind of a handy thing for us to remember. Because you see, Hanukkah happens at Christmas time, doesn't it? You've seen that. And so Christmas time, you know, on the one hand, you can be happy and think about Jesus, the little baby, sweet little baby, all those kind of things, and that's all great. And we can also remember Hanukkah, that Jesus is a fulfillment of all of this. He is the deliverer. He is the one that overthrows empires of darkness but he does so as a shepherd for you, not a hammer against you. And we can remember at Hanukkah that Jesus, as a shepherd, knows your very name and considers you a gift to him from the Father. 
And remember that Jesus is the one that says that I'm going to come to you at Hanukkah because I am going to give you life. I'm going to give you the abundant life as you dwell on earth. In fact, I'm going to give you life which is eternal because I'm going to overthrow the empire of darkness and death. And I'm the one who guards you and will never let anything snatch you out of my hands. And when the darkness tries to hold on to you, you just remember that I have you in my hand and I will never let you go. And you remember that these promises are sure and true and cannot be broken because I am the eternal God. I am one with God the Father who sends to you God the Spirit. I am God dwelling on earth. I am your rescuer. And then John ends the time in verses 40 to 42. And he goes all the way back to the beginning because he's closing off this section of the book. And he goes back and says, remember all of those things that John said about me in the Gospel of John chapter 1? John didn't do any works, but everything that he said about me came true because I am the fulfillment of all those things. And it's a court of law. And you're the jury. And Jesus went back across the Jordan to where John was baptizing And some of those people said, we've got a verdict. You're guilty. You are the fulfillment of all of these things. We believe in you. And John concludes this section of the book and asks you for your verdict. Almighty God, it is just staggering how you, how you put all of this together to point to Jesus. Lord, for me, sometimes I got to confess, I, I kind of wish you were the hammer because... Um, Sometimes it just feels like might is right and power and insurrection and all those things. And I guess sometimes, like with Judas, it is. But the truth is, I'm really glad that you come as a shepherd. That you receive each one of us as a gift from the Father and you care for us as a shepherd cares for the sheep. You know us, you lead us, you feed us, you rest us, you protect us, you give us life. I believe these things, Jesus. Sometimes I forget. And so I ask, I ask you to remind me of these things. And Lord, if there are any who are here today online or, or here present. I just ask Holy Spirit that you would cause a stirring in their hearts and minds and help them come to the verdict 
that they believe. You are the Messiah, the Savior, the set-apart one, the Good Shepherd, who is indeed God himself. Amen.